preaching on the devil and demons today, and I think they've been invested in our electricity and sound system this morning, so it's an appropriate Sunday to do so. I uh, appreciate so much our technical team and all that they do, and um, thankful for, the, for their service to the Lord. Matthew chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles today. Matthew chapter 8, and beginning in verse 28, we read as we continue the series that we've been in, in the Gospel of Matthew, bringing the kingdom to life. And I hope that you will pay special attention to this message this morning because I think it has a lot more relevance to our life right now than what we might originally think. Matthew chapter 8 and beginning in verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Perhaps the most neglected doctrine in the church today, beyond the working of God's Holy Spirit, is lack of an awareness of the reality of spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual rulers and wickedness in high places. The Scripture also reminds us that Satan, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour. And if we were to pull the eternal curtain behind the scenes and wage the warfare that has taken place between the demonic world and the angelic world, between God and Satan, we would be trembling at what is really taking place. West is often very skeptical of demons when we talk about this. We talk about the miracles of Christ. We talk about his teachings. But almost every point along the way, Jesus does as a regular part of his ministry, he does a miracle, he does some teaching, he gets on the Pharisees, and he casts out a demon. Now we talk about the former three pretty regularly, but when we get to the part about exorcism, about casting out the demons, that's a little bit uncomfortable for us. We're too sophisticated in this part of the world today. That kind of stuff surely doesn't occur in our society. <laughs> I think sometimes we're not careful. We get to where we're just a little bit smarter than Jesus is. But Jesus believed that demons were very, very real. A couple of years before he passed away, the New York Times did an interview with Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and they asked him about the reality of eternity, what he believed about his faith, and he told them that he believed in a literal heaven and a literal hell, and then he said something that turned the Times completely bewildered by the statement. He said, I also believe in the devil. And the New, York, the New York Magazine responded, you do? 
And Philia said, yes, of course, he's a real person. The interviewer asked this question, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? (laughs) In a sarcastic manner. Scalia responded with these words. You know, it's curious. In the gospel, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot. And that thing doesn't happen very much anymore. It's because he's smart. Interview asked, so what's he doing now? What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or to believe in God. He's much more successful that way. That way has always puzzled me, the demonic possessions. What happens to the devil? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over to the New Testament. What happened to him now? (laughs) He's gotten much more sneaky. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't think this stuff is real, then rest assured, Satan has you right where he wants you to. The scripture gives us this reality that all around us there is a rebellion going on against the rule and reign of God. That there is an unseen spiritual battle raging right now behind the scenes. We know that if God is planning a new society, that if he is forming a new kingdom, then what Satan seeks to do is destroy and break up and usurp that kingdom. Our enemies are not human, the scripture tells us. They are in fact demonic. They are powerful. They are rulers. Satan is described as a creature of darkness who has disguised himself as an angel of light. He is a master con artist and the greatest con he has ever pulled is convincing the world today that he does not exist. And he's done a very good job at that. We think of evil as a concept We think of evil as an act. But the Bible tells us that evil is much more than that, that evil is actually represented in a person. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a human being today. Your enemy is under the rule and authority of Satan. So he tells us that this section of the church here today, he tells us that Satan has always been at war with humanity. We know that the evil one is in full attack mode even from the beginning. You know, today, one of the problems that we have with the war on terror that is so different from other eras and other society is that it used to be we know who the enemy was. The enemy would walk out in a field and we would start firing back and forth and they would have on their uniforms and we would have on ours. And it became relatively easy to spot who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. That's no longer the case, is it? We don't know who the enemy is. The enemy could be dressed in plain clothes. The enemy could have grown up in the United States seeking to harm. We see that with with bombings and mass shootings and everything else. We can't pick out the enemy like we used to. Well, the Scripture tells us exactly who the enemy is. Scripture tells us that our enemy is Satan. But the problem is that we have forgotten how to pick him out. And we have forgotten that the very place where he likes to reside is not in the world. Not outside. The place where he often likes to make his presence known is in the church. Our problem's not out there. The problem, the Bible tells us, is in here. Because what Satan seeks to do is to disunify us, to distract us, to get us overwhelmed with all sorts of peripheral things to where church becomes a hobby rather than 
survival. He's got us right where he wants us today. And he reminds us of something very true. The reason that Jesus comes into this earth. 1 John 3 8. John tells us this. The purpose of the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The entire reason that Jesus is in this earth is to redeem humanity from sin and to crush the head of the serpent that the Bible tells us would happen in Genesis chapter 3. He is out to destroy the devil and here he destroys declares war. The Bible tells us that these two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs meet Jesus. And it's not a social call. Matter of fact, they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Church that I pastored for five years in LaRue County had the parsonage right in between the cemeteries. We had two church cemeteries. The old one on the other side of the church and the new one which is on the other side of the parsonage. It was a really unique experience. The first couple of nights I was there by myself, I had a lot of trouble sleeping because I didn't know quite what was going on outside. And it gets even more bizarre when you do a funeral over at the church and you walk a procession to the graveyard and you have to file right past your house and bury someone within 50 feet of the place that you live. So a lot of times, you know, I'd see some lights at night out there in the cemetery, and it would scare me to death. I didn't want to go out. I mean, it's a terrifying thing to, to, to be. I was scared out of my mind. But as far as I know, nobody came out of those tombs. At least if they did, I didn't know them to. The Bible says here that that's exactly what happens. These men who are alive would have been unclean for a Jew to go near a dead person. These alive men, possessed by demons, come out of the tombs. And they are so fierce that nobody can get by them. They are blocking the road, the Bible tells us. And here's something that happens immediately. They do something that we often fail to do. They recognize who Jesus is. And they say to him, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They have no problem with recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. The Bible tells us that the devil and his angels also believe and tremble. They know the Bible backwards and forwards. And even though they rebel, they still believe. And here they are doing exactly that. They know who Jesus is. Nobody needs to help them with their Christology. They know who he is. They know he's going to be their judge and their destroyer. And they know that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And these fierce demons who have been scaring the entire community out of their minds are scared to death when they see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in the middle of all this, they ask for something. Notice that phrase. Notice that phrase they use in verse 29, the latter part. Have you come to torment us before the time? See, these demons not only tremble at the presence of Jesus, they also know that one day Jesus will completely wipe them out. They're already doomed, but they're not yet completed. And they cry out in terror. And these demons who have been representing a threat to the community try to make themselves as victims, that they are threatened themselves. 
I like what one writer says. It's quite telling that these demons hate and loathe everything about Jesus, and yet they are powerless to do anything apart from his permission. Satan can do nothing in this world and nothing in your life apart from the sovereign permission of God. Satan is a lion, but he is a lion on a leash, and God holds the leash. Demons decidedly do not have all authority. Jesus does. And they say, let us go into this herd of pigs, an unclean animal to the Jews. And Mark also records this incident. He tells us there are about 2,000 pigs that they went into. Jesus tells them, go, get out of the human beings. They, they go into the pigs, and the pigs all go off a cliff. 2,000 of them. There's a joke in there somewhere that I'm not going to use. They go off of the cliff, and then the people in the crowd come back. And they, instead of bowing down to Jesus, instead of recognizing Jesus for who he is, they ask him to leave. Now, what did you think that these two demon-possessed men who have been enamored and been tortured physically, mentally, in every way imaginable, what did you think that the town would be thankful for what they've done here? Instead, that's not what they do. They ask Jesus to leave. Because truly, when you see the power of God and you're not willing to follow God, that's exactly what you'll do too. Because if you don't know the God who has the power, it scares you out of your mind. Even the people who do know God are scared. Isaiah, when he sees the glory of the Lord, says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Peter, when he sees miracles take place, gets on his knees and says, Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Because when you get into the presence of God and you do not know God or you are not close with God, or better yet, you're a believer and you recognize the presence of God, there is a holiness and an authority that you will never find again. And these people, rather than following Jesus, ask him to leave. You know, the Bible tells us that our weapons, our warfare, are not carnal, but instead that our warfare is spiritual. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities. And here's what takes place when you and I come together as the church of God. Sometimes we can half-heartedly sing these songs, and sometimes we show up because it's 9.30 on a Sunday morning, and that's what we're supposed to do. But listen, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, and when we sing these songs, and when we fellowship together, and when we declare God's Word with one another, we are declaring war on hell. And the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus Christ, the devil and all of his demons tremble because they cannot overcome. And so what you and I need to do is take seriously our worship, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, because when we worship the Lord, we are declaring war against Satan and all of his demons. I like the way one writer put it. He said the gathering of the church is meant to be a number of things a hospital to heal the sick and wounded, a family where everyone is accepted, a school where we are taught the word of God, and an army that engages and defeats the enemy to, sing the, to see the kingdom of God advance. Becoming a worshiper means becoming a warrior. And by toning that down or cutting it out altogether, 
We have sent men and women away from the church in droves. It's time to call them back. We need warriors to return, but we need them to return as worshiping warriors who are surrendered to God. Warriors who know that their authority comes because they are under authority. Warriors willing to wait even when everyone else is rushing ahead or act decisively to walk in obedience. We've seen earlier in this chapter that Jesus has authority over diseases. So last week that with that storm, Jesus has authority over disasters. And now we see that Jesus has authority over demons. He's got authority over disease. He's got authority over disaster. He's got authority over diseases. But most importantly, he has authority over you. And he has called you to walk in obedience with him. Brothers and sisters, if we really understood what we were up against, that the arm of flesh will fail us, if we really understand the spiritual warfare that Satan is seeking to break up your family right now, that he is seeking to tear apart your church, that he is seeking to destroy your Christian witness with anything that he can, we would spend a lot more time on our knees. And the truth is, you and I as believers need God's strength to be victorious. We have to have the armor of God. No police officer, no soldier in his right mind would go to work or go to battle apart from his armor. And yet you and I do that every single day. Scripture tells us the greatest weapons that we can possibly have is the word of God and prayer. These are our weapons. David strengthens himself in, in the Lord. All those principalities and powers later on, the disciples do everything they can to try to cast these demons out. They come back to Jesus. They say, Lord, we can't do it. Did we use the wrong technique? And the problem wasn't wrong technique. The problem was they were depending more on themselves than they were on the God who has authority over these demons. Listen, they may laugh against our protest. They may look at us with our lives, but the devil and his demons are helpless against our prayers. And when we pray, all of hell shakes. The Bible tells us this is true. I like what some of the, one of the writers said here, Gernal's um, Christian in Complete Armor. He's got several statements that I think are, are helpful for us says, who among us has not learned from his own experience that it requires another spirit than the world can give to follow Christ fully? Listen, if you are trying to follow God in your own strength, you are going to fail. You have to have his spirit. He goes on, the soldier is summoned to a life of active duty, and so is the Christian. Listen, if you are a soldier in our military and the battle takes place and you abandon the fight... You can be court-martialed. Treason can be declared against you. And in your right mind, you would never do such a thing. But there are people who claim the name of Christ today who have abandoned the fight. They're living like the world. And God says there is a battle going on right now, and we need you in the Word of God and in prayer. 
He goes on, taking up the cross daily, praying always, watching night and day, and never laying aside our army to indulge ourselves, sends many sorrowful away from Christ. We still experience that rejection. God can overcome his enemies without help from anyone, but his saints cannot so much as defend the smallest outpost without his strong arm. If there's anything you can get done by yourself, then you're not doing God's will. Because God's will cannot be accomplished apart from his spirit. Knowing your strength lies wholly in God and not in yourself. Remain humble even when God is blessing and using you most. How many Christians have been brought down because they thought they could do it on their own? Pride. Only an ignorant soul is foolish enough to ride out of his castle unarmed during a siege. How ignorant we are not to be in daily prayer. Doubt your own strength, but never doubt Christ. In your gravest conflict with Satan, trust him to bring you out of the devil's dominion. Do not doubt for a moment that Satan will hurl all his fury at those who love God's word. You need an armor shop near at hand to make up your losses as quickly as possible, for Satan is most likely to attack when you are least prepared to repel his charge. Brothers and sisters, We need each other. And if you are taking your Christianity as a hobby, as a game, as something to do when you can wake up on time or something to do when you don't have anything else going on in your schedule, you do not understand what the God of the Bible commands. That we are called to be warriors in His army, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here's the news about that. When we do that, we express something to the outside world that the kingdom of God will march on, that the kingdom of God will advance because every society throughout history in one way or another has tried to wipe out the name of God. And here we are. The Greeks' philosophy is gone. The Roman ruins are dead. The Inquisition is over. And you and I are here declaring the gospel today. Why? Because the word of God cannot be stopped. And when believers march in an army, when someone comes to trust in Jesus Christ, when they follow him in believer's baptism, that first cry of the new creature in Christ startles all the legions of hell. When you and I declare the name of Jesus, we scare the devil and his demons to death. So rather than forgetting this book, rather than laying it aside, we need to pick it up. And we need to fight for our families today. We need to fight for our community. We need to fight for our country and reclaim it for Christ. And we need to do it through Scripture, through prayer, through testimony. Because that same God who had authority back then is a God who has authority today. And Satan knows your weakness He knows it better than you do. But so does Jesus. And He says that in our strength and in our weakness and by ourselves, we would be in trouble. But God's strength is made strong when we are weak. And if we'll trust and depend on Him, all the armies of hell 
will not prevail. And we will be victorious when our Lord comes again. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.